at the ball game. Yo! Welcome back, everyone, to the Fantastics Insider Baseball Podcast here on Spotify, Google Podcasts, of course, Apple Podcasts, and InsiderBaseball.com. I'm Lou Blassie, along with Brandon Cameron from Fantastics and InsiderBaseball.com as well. Brandon, doing how are great. You doing? Uh, we got over a week now of uh, games to analyze, and uh, we're we're in the swing of things now. See, this is a really tough point in the season for us. We were talking about it on the last podcast with Sky a little bit. This is a tough part of the season because you want to draw conclusions. You want to uh, you want to solve things immediately, but it's just really too early on a lot of this stuff. So you really have to kind of separate what is noise and what is news, what is compelling, what is Yeah, that's right. And uh, it, it, like you said, it's hard because... We've been waiting so long. We've been anxious. And then finally, we have things that matter. We have standings that we're following. You know, I mean, each one of our leagues, I'm sure, you know, everybody's kind of tracking and seeing which players they feel good that they drafted, which players they're a little concerned about. Uh, And so we have data. We have uh, things that matter. We have uh, rankings and, and such. And so uh, that that stuff is is just easy to really read into a lot and uh, yet you do have to be cautious because of course things will change not to say that what has happened over the first week plus doesn't matter it does and uh, there are certainly some things that we should be paying attention to um, but I think you just have to be careful to keep your emotions in check no yeah really that's the tough part right now especially where you're seeing numbers and standings for the first time and if you're not doing well in your series or you're low in the rankings at this point uh you you get a little itchy i'm sure you'll agree that uh what is compelling varies from player to player and situation to situation but generally speaking and disagree if you want to but uh um, generally speaking what are you looking for this early what kind of things do you pay attention to what what uh, has a little weight for you this early? Well, I'm certainly you know looking at the, so those storylines that we had in the off season or through spring training. How have they carried over into the regular season? Uh, but the biggest thing I would say is is playing time, is lineup construction. Certainly, there were some closer positions that we weren't so sure about heading into the season. Um, you know, kind of getting a gauge at where those are at and, and, you know, those position battles, fifth rotation spots, um, those are things. But then, you know, as you look at a little bit deeper is, um, you know, velocity for pitchers and then for hitters contact rate, how are they seeing the ball right now? Um, you know, how hard are they hitting the ball? But again, that's, that's stuff you cannot over evaluate. I mean, when you look at, you know, I saw somebody posting about average exit velocity the other day. And I'm like, well, how many bad at ball events do these guys have <laughs> that, you know, right. a, a guy we might get into today, Xander Bogarts, his average exit velocity right now is 81 miles per hour. He's not going to finish the season with an 81 mile per hour average ex- exit velocity. But, you know, it's a very, very, very small sample size. Again, I don't say it doesn't matter. It does. Uh, but, you know, you just can't overreact to an 81 mile per hour average exit velocity with xander this stuff going on but it's not there it's not in the skill set we'll talk about that as we get into the get into this list a little bit um there was a theory going on before the season i'm not sure if you and i talked about it on one of the shows but there was a theory that hitters would be well ahead of pitchers at this point in the season because of the abbreviated spring training and and things like that and i went through the league stats i went over this a bit with skyler in the last one but i'm curious in your impressions on this uh k per nine relative to the last full seasons i didn't do april 
I didn't do much in April for these previous seasons because I just wanted to see overall. And relative to full seasons, the current ERA is 395 in Major League Baseball, where it was 427 last year and 445 the year before, 451 the year before that. Strikeouts are pretty level. There's a few more walks, but not a ton more walks. Home runs are actually down 1.04 to 1.26, 1.34, 1.4 in the previous seasons. That's just weather. Uh, So the pitchers are a little bit ahead until you start getting into starters alone. And then starters, once you look at starters uh, here, and those are the guys who'd be most affected by the slow start and the abbreviated spring training, and and they're going to be pulled a little bit early in the season. ERA is 432, which is right in line with full seasons. It was 434 last year, 446 the year before, 454. So the starters are are a little bit behind where they normally would be because you would expect pitchers to be a little bit ahead of hitters at this point but i don't think this is again is it compelling it's interesting but it's not compelling first of all that's not much of a difference and secondly i think this is going to clear itself up i think you know we had talked about the fact that we expected starters to go shorter distances in games early on um, which they always do every year but uh, i i thought it would last a little longer it looks like it probably will um, I mean, I know everybody was talking about the Kershaw perfect game that he was pulled from. Uh, you know, to me, he still went seven innings, which is more than almost any other pitcher we're getting at this point. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, that was a unique situation, but we're seeing more and more starters go only four innings now, even two times through the rotation. Um, if you're noticing, even when they're pitching well and their, their pitch counts relatively low. So that was what I expected. I didn't feel like until maybe the end of April, early May, would we start seeing pitchers, you know, pitching to their full strength and going full distances, um, which usually it's by the second or third start, uh, you know, in a normal year. So I think that is something we're factoring in. And, and you also have to remember, too, that uh, teams have two extra rotation or sorry, two extra roster spots. Uh, for this mm-hmm. month, and they're unlimited with the number of pitchers they can have for this month. That will change. So that is a factor, too. And so there are some teams, a lot of teams, actually, that are taking advantage of that and turning to their bullpen quicker in games and uh, just riding their bullpen because they have the arms to do it. They're not worried about burning out their arms early in the season. Uh, and so that is something that I anticipated would happen um, but ultimately I, I don't think in a couple weeks, it's going to be anything to, to read into. And I don't really know if there's a whole lot at this point you can do about it. If you didn't already right. factor it in, in the draft process. Yeah. It's not a foundational strategy change that you're going to be dealing with. And it's playing out exactly like I think we thought it would uh, play out in, in terms of walks are up a little bit for starting pitchers. So the command is a little bit off, but it's mitigated by weather. home runs are down. Uh, so it, it just it balances things off. Weather is not a friend of hitters. Weather is always going to be ahead of the hitters. And if the pitchers are a little bit behind, they're a little bit behind. But it's not far enough to, uh, again, change your thinking. And I think it's going to clear up, I think, by the end of the month or, or certainly first or second week in May. Everything's going to be relatively I think normal. the perfect example of that is, and uh, Sky and I talked about this last week, was Brandon Woodruff's first start. Um, where Brandon Woodruff has just been so reliable and doesn't really walk a lot of guys, usually has such good command of his stuff. And he went out there in that first start, and it was cold, and he just had absolutely no idea where the ball was going. I, I mean, he, he was hitting guys, he was walking guys, and he gave up seven runs in three and two-thirds. And I'm sure there were people out there panicking. 
Uh, Brandon Woodruff goes out there and, you know, gives up seven runs to a Cubs team. A lot of people didn't think was going to be very good. Uh, doesn't even make it out of the fourth inning. And I know there was probably people concerned. Well, he comes back uh, yes, or sorry, Friday. No, Thursday, <laughs> I should say. Uh, Thursday, I can't get my days right. And uh, goes five scoreless innings. Uh, wasn't electric. Was, only had two strikeouts, but uh, you know, looked a little more like Brandon Woodruff that we expected. So uh, that's one of those things where, again, I, th- I think every year there's a little bit of this. And, and you mentioned the weather. I mean, it has been really cold in some of these spots. Um, you know, when I, I've been setting the DFS lineups, it's like, you know, what hitter do I even feel comfortable playing in 39 degrees right now? Um, so, right, exactly. and, that, and that, as you mentioned, that certainly has a major impact on the hitters. It always does, but it can impact, you know, the precipitation. The ball can be hard to grip for the pitchers. The ball can be a little harder um, because it's almost frozen a little bit. Yep. Uh, and so that's just something you have to, you have to factor in a little bit is, uh, you know, th- there, there is always going to be some volatility, in April because of the weather, but also because there's always volatility in baseball. And it's, you know, you cannot judge a guy who's been consistent and really strong uh, through one start. And, and I think Brandon Woodruff showed in his second start. Okay. He's Brandon Woodruff still. Yeah, exactly. There's a track record there that you can lean on a little bit, unlike Nick Pavetta, who pitched yesterday, and it was very much the same situation. Nick Pavetta had no idea where the ball was going yesterday, uh, and he doesn't have that much of a track record. He's Well, he has a track record of this type of volatility. We'll talk about him in a second. I've read a lot of articles about, uh, you know, and all of us here in the industry are in the same boat. We have to do stuff now. We have to do podcasts now. We have to do shows now. We have to write articles now. So we have to draw some conclusions or amplify some things that maybe it's too early to amplify. And I've read a lot of articles about velocity with pitcher and I, pitchers, and I would be cautious about that as well for a number of different reasons. First of all, it takes it, it's individual from pitcher to pitcher. Some pitchers take some time to ramp up in their first few starts of the season. They don't come out with full velocity. Secondly, again, pitchers are creatures of habit, and the spring training did not go the way uh, they would normally go. And I think that's how well pitchers survived in that environment and how well they progressed in that environment. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is a great example. He was talking about uh, basically he took the blame on himself of being pulled for that game because he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to go 110 innings, 110 pitches, which he would have needed there. And, you know, while well, he took the blame on Major League Baseball and, and the d- delay in the season. But it, that's going to be individual pitcher to pitcher. So I wouldn't read too much even into velocity. No, case. yeah. I mean, and again, it's just such a small sample size. I mean, yes, velocity is a thing that I actually think sometimes we overvalue, we overdo because – on a on a game to game basis, you know, I, uh, I I remember in his first start, Tyler McGill went out there for the Mets and pitched really well. And his first pitch, I think, was ninety eight, and he was hitting even ninety nine in the first inning, and everybody was going crazy. Then by the time, and I don't have his numbers in front of me, I think it was that he went five right. innings or so, five or six innings. By the time he was in his last inning out, he was only throwing ninety four, and everyone was like, "Oh man, blah blah." You know, it's like this is a inning by inning, like if we're going to be judging a guy's velocity every single inning, we're going to drive ourselves crazy. Uh, Tyler McGill came back out. His second start was back up to 98. You know, I I mean. Yeah, there's adrenaline rush. There's weather involved in that as well. Some pitchers pitch better in cold weather than others. I know Chris Sale has struggled with it up here at times when it's been ridiculously cold. So there's so many variables here. It's again, it's just kind of early in a lot of instances to take 
lasting impression. Yeah, and and just ultimately things are going to change so much by the end of this month, let alone by mid-season. So um, it's not, again, I, I, I repeat, I, I don't think it's fair to say to ignore this stuff. I mean, you do, you know, we have to be paying attention and we have to acknowledge what's going on and and factor in the numbers we do have. Um, you just can't overdo it on it. And, uh, and that even to me includes velocity. Again, not that I'm ignoring it. Um, if a guy is down, I know, you know, Ryan Presley in Houston, he, he's, he's, his velocity has been down, um, you know, through the beginning of the season, he's still been effective, but, uh, the velocity has been down. Honestly, I'm not real worried about it. Um, I will start worrying if we get, you know, a month, month and a half in and his velocity is still around 92, then I start to worry a little more. All right, on this week's show here on the podcast and on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Brandon and I will be going over players that we're uh, concerned about and players who are op- or that he's optimistic about and that he's concerned about. And uh, I'm a New Englander, Brandon, so I go for the negative first. Plus, it's, it's a lot more fun <laughs> just to go for the negative first. It's just the way I was brought up. So, you know, the old question up here for years was, would you rather see the Yankees lose or the Red Sox win? And we'd all go, Yankees lose. <laughs> just, just, just the way we are. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's just the way we are. So we'll start with the pessimistic side of it. We'll talk about players we're concerned about. And I want to dive in. The first guy on the list was really fascinating because as I called up his early box and what there's to be concerned about. Uh, Kyle Tucker has hit a couple home runs in 27 at bat so far. He's only batting 111, but his quality of contact is strong. His plate rates are strong. What are you concerned about? Well, uh, you know, I'm concerned. Is Kyle Tucker a first round pick? Uh, I, 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 oh, yeah, I still enough. think yeah. Kyle, I mean, yeah, overall, I'm not concerned that he's going to hit 111. I mean, again, you know, we can bring up the numbers. Some of these, it's just small samples of size. It's hard to factor in. His BABIP is 050. <laughs> His BABIP yeah. is not going to end up 050. I can guarantee you that. With an exit velocity of 9 yeah. plus and barrel rate of 9.1, he deserves more than that 050. Yeah, so say. he's had a little bit of bad luck there. And, uh, you know, I mean, his expected batting average is 286. He's hitting 111 right now. So, again, I, I am I am not concerned that these numbers are going to, you know, improve and, and there's going to be some positive regression. Um, my only concern is I have him in a couple places. I drafted him in the first round. Um and I, I honestly, maybe one of my bigger concerns is that the Astros just keep hitting him sixth. And to me, he's earned the middle of the lineup. He's earned a three, four, you know, you know, being third or fourth in the lineup. Um, so I see him hitting sixth. That limits some of his uh, run producing numbers. Uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, he he's just had a really, really slow start. Does that give the Astros Dusty Baker caution on moving him up in the lineup. I just, I invested in him as a first round pick and I am just now a little worried and concerned, not overly concerned, just a little concerned. Is this guy going to deliver the 30 home runs, you know, 18, 19, 20 stolen bases uh, and a 280 to 300 batting average that I invested in. Um, And right now it's not looking like that's going to happen. But again, we're a week and a half into the season. Where does the Dusty Baker line get drawn of of just screwing up young players? In other words, you you got uh, Kyle Tucker, who's twenty five years old, and he played a full season last year. He's not really a kid anymore, and we know Dusty Baker doesn't like kids and and basically screws up kids. And batting him sixth would be a typical symptom of Dusty Baker dealing with a kid. 
but at what point at what point does he does Caltech cross into a veteran? He, he he's essentially a veteran at this point, isn't he? Yeah, and again, I, not only as you mentioned with experience, he's ha- he has the numbers and the fact that he did have a full season. He's now been up since 2018 in limited roles, but at least like he's been with the big league club now for five years. So, you know, this is not a guy who has no idea what's going on in the major leagues and is uncomfortable. He made his bones last year. Yeah, and and ultimately, it's not even just that he produced to a two ninety four batting average, 30 home runs, 14 stolen bases. It's he did all the things you want to see. He made improvements in plate discipline. He, you know, improved his power. He did everything you want to see. He uh, is a smart base runner, really smart. He's not the fastest guy, but he still is capable of stealing 15 to 20 bases just because he's a really good base runner. He does everything you want to see. Why is he hitting sixth? I mean, this is a team that hasn't had Yuli Gurriel now for a little bit. He's been out. And then, of course, like Carlos Correa is gone. How in the world is Kyle Tucker not one of your middle of the lineup guys? That's what it's just. I I mean, I think most people would have him there. But my concern is if you invested a first round pick in somebody, they've got to be in the middle of the lineup or or at the top of the lineup. I mean, hitting six, it it seems minor, but in the course of a season, that is going to impact some of the some of the numbers we see. And ultimately, you know, right now, everything's down for Kyle Tucker. Again, as we mentioned, much of that is bad luck. He's going to rebound in some ways. I just worry he's not going to produce the numbers that that are valued at a first round pick. All right. So if he repeats last year at 294, 30, 14, uh, n- didn't hit 100, didn't have 100 RBIs, had 92 and 83 runs, does that justify his first round so. pick? I don't think so. I think I invested him in his, I invested in him as a first round pick, and I think others did to see some positive regression on that, to see some improvement. Um, didn't have to see ma- major improvement, but uh, yeah, I, I think you, you want to see a little bit more because I think you're going to see guys in the second round who are able to produce similar numbers to that. Yeah, and I know we're metrics guys, and metrics say that protection doesn't exist, but hitting sixth, that's another Mm -hmm. issue. Protection, you'd much rather have them with a couple hitters behind them so that they have to deal with him a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, I I don't understand it from any factor that, like, you know, he's a really good hitter. His contact rate above 80%. I mean, this is a guy who he doesn't swing and miss a whole lot for a guy who can hit 30-plus home runs. He's a really good hitter. This is a guy who should be in the middle of the lineup. And, you know, right now that concerns me. I, I just thought they have to put him in the middle. With, with Carlos Correa gone, I just felt like he had to be in the middle of that lineup. And and he's not. He's been hitting sixth, and, and I don't like that. All right, Mitch Keller, two starts. They haven't been particularly pretty starts, but his uh, ERA is over five runs over his XFIP. He's 939 and XFIP of 407. Still striking out, guys. Quality contact numbers are pretty good. Even swinging strike are within line. Call strike, that type of thing is in line. What's going yeah, on I mean, with The Mitch good Keller? news is what everybody was going crazy about in the offseason was the uptick in velocity, and the velocity has carried over to the regular season. This is a guy who was in the low to mid-90s with his fastball, and it's it's up 96, 97, um, and, and it's looked really good, his his fastball. He's using it a little bit less. I, I don't have a problem with that because he's using his change. Now, the changeup, he hasn't perfected. As he gained in yeah. velocity in fastball, the changeups gained way too much velocity. So he's throwing a 92-mile-per-hour changeup. That's too hard for a changeup. 
Um, so I don't think it's particularly effective in that route. And, and that's part of the problem. But what really concerns me with Mitch Keller is, okay, we get this really good velocity bump and that's very encouraging. And, and there's reasons to believe that that can be, you know, turn him into a, a quality pitcher. He just still walks too many guys. And, you know, that's been a problem for him throughout his career. And, you know, he's doing it again in the early going. And that has me concerned is, you know, ultimately he's, he's walked five guys in just under eight innings. It, it, I don't care what your velocity is. If you, if you're walking that many guys, it's going to cause problems. And so I'm not ready to commit as some people were into Mitch Keller being, you know, a, a, a viable starting fantasy pitcher, you know, maybe even to the point of a, not quite a streamer pitcher, but an actual in your rotation sort of pitcher. I'm not ready to commit to that if he can't drop those walks and, and get better command of, of his pitches. The velocity bump, great. That's really good. I think there's something we can build on there. Again, he's still only 26. So I, I, I do think there's room for improvement, but uh, he's got to drop the walks and that change up. He's got to refine a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about that because that's one of the things I look at when a velocity bump goes up and you get a look at whether the changeup came along with it because the, obviously mechanical changes involved that gets in the velocity in the fastball and whether those changes carry over to the uh, changeup. But here's the thing, and usually I would look at this and I would say, well, that changeup came up two or three miles an hour along with the fastball. That's low-hanging developmental fruit. The mechanics will get that down. That'll come down a couple miles an hour, and uh, you know that'll help with separation. But even if it comes down two or three miles per hour, we're still only in this five, six, four, five, six, you know, maybe seven mile an hour change, which is a delta, which isn't enough. His changeup has always been a little bit hot. And unless they can teach him to calm that down a little bit, that's, you know, the velocity is going to help, of course. But if he could calm that uh, change up down a little bit, that delta would help him help that fastball set and up. And I quite think nicely. that's the right point there, Lou, is, is it's not even about the change up. It's about what it does for the fastball. Um, the change yeah, up's exactly. been effective. Again, we're talking small sample sizes here, but he, he hasn't, he's gotten a lot of whiffs. He hasn't really gotten hard contact. Um, the change up's been fine this year in terms of the results it's getting. But his fastball, for as good as it is, is getting hammered. Um, you know, 400 batting average against his fastball right now, and uh, he's not—he's not really getting swings and misses on that fastball. Um, and that's ultimately because you know the changeup isn't fooling them enough to where they can't still sit on that fastball. Um, because yeah, the changeup, you know, is, is, is a little bit, it's, you know, the four or five mile per hour difference is, is going to make an impact. It's going to be a little bit harder, but it's not enough to make it to where batters can't still sit on that fastball. And so, but, but that's just going to last until they print the new sheets for the batters, mm -hmm. you know, maybe next series, even where they're looking 56%, 55%, possibly a little higher for fastball. And all of a sudden they get the sheet in their locker when they show up for the series. And it's like, oh, he's only a 50% fastball guy. Watch for that change up. And at that Delta, you can sit fastball. Yeah, reaction. exactly. And so, uh, so right now he, he, he does have to figure, fig either figure out how to get that change up. Uh, how to refine it a little bit, or he needs to drop the usage of it. And I don't know if he's going to be willing to do that because it has been his most effective pitch. But as you said, uh, that's not really the point of the changeup. It, it's not about what it produces. I mean, partly is, of course, but uh, it's also about what it does for his fastball. And right now that fastball, which has a lot of promise. Again, I really think that Mitch Keller still has the potential to turn into a really, really good pitcher. I just don't think he's there yet. I still think he's trying to figure it out. This is his first year with this kind of velocity. 
So there is going to be some growing pains. I still think long term there's there's reason for optimism. Uh, but people who invested in him and and said, you know, this is a guy who I'm going to throw in my starting rotation. Uh, I think right now he's still a little bit more of a streamer and, and you got to use with caution because uh, he doesn't have the command and he doesn't yet have that change up where it needs to be. And still, ultimately, he's a contact pitcher. His strikeout rate is up a little bit here in the early going. And I think a lot of that is based because I'm looking at the, at the swinging strike rate is up a little bit, but it's still it's 9.1. It's still not great. Uh, chase rate at 22% is not good at all. Uh, it's all called strikes. He's got a little bit bump in called strikes. And I think that's, again, his pitch mix and the book will catch up to that. So I, I'm, I'm not sure he holds this strike rate, strikeout rate. So if he's still a contact pitcher, that's where the walks, you know, you know how much I hate walks. Uh, it, with a contact pitcher, it's ultimately important not to walk guys because if you're a contact pitcher in Major League Baseball in 2022, you're going to give up homers. It's just the way it is. It's just the reality of it. So you can't walk guys. Yeah, and ultimately, I, I just think, yeah, with Keller, the problem with that is, is he's on a bad team. You know, To me, he's still just sort of streaming pitcher. Uh, the problem is when you have a guy who walks like that, even streaming him is difficult because he can struggle against bad teams. So you could say, okay, well, I, you know, I'm going to put him in there against, I don't know, the Marlins or or something, or if they interleague playing the A's or something. Um, well, you know, if you were walking guys, it doesn't really matter who you're facing. Uh, so A's are one of the better <laughs> offenses true. in the early going. Despite this lineup, you probably couldn't name two guys. That's true, of the A's. Uh, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? You know, it's just there to sort of even streaming. I, I don't feel great about streaming him in certain no. circumstances. So um, not that there was anything wrong in the offseason with uh, recognizing the velo bump. And, and and again, that has carried over. That's encouraging. Um, I think there is is uh, there is some growth here for Mitch Keller. And there is uh, maybe some, you know, in the future, there's going to be some really positive results. But I just think the growth we're going to kind of see up and down throughout the season. Don't get me wrong. I think he's going to have some starts. We're going to see some starts where he's on and he looks really good. And he's going to have, have some effective starts. Um, we just haven't seen it yet. And I think it's going to be, you know, very volatile. We got to find out if it's command or fear. You know, this is walks usually come down to either command issue, uh, control issue rather than command uh, or fear. In other words, with his added velocity, does he feel he can go in his zone more? Can he be more aggressive with hitters? Can he be uh, when he's got that changeup going and he's got the fastball going and he's a four pitch guy, he, he puts thoughts in hitters minds. Can he be in the zone more? And that will cut his walk rate a little bit right now. You're right. I don't care where he's playing. It's just a matter of whether there's going to be nobody or one walk or two walks on base when he gives up that. Yeah. Home and, game. and because, Worth noting, I think that's a really good point, and this is not foolproof way of looking at the commander fear, but um, I, I look at first pitch strike because uh, usually you're going to try to go in there and, and, and get a first pitch strike, and if you have command of your stuff, you're able to do that. Uh, it's 51%. That's not very encouraging. Yeah. And so I, I think no. it's a little bit of a command issue. Again, he gained this velocity this year. He hasn't had it, and so there's a little bit of touch and feel with it and, and trying to figure out you know, how to use it effectively and where to use it. And, uh, and I just don't think he has that yet. I think there is going to be, he's almost going to, in my mind, use this season to develop that again, the pirates aren't going anywhere. So, uh, I would imagine they're going to keep throwing him out there. I mean, unless it gets real bad, I would imagine he's just gonna, he's just gonna have to figure it out this season from a fantasy perspective though. That's a bit concerning. Do you have it in front of you? What's his first pitch strike percentage career-wise? I mean, how's it? How's it? So I've got it right in front of me too. Uh, 2019, 63, 46, 56, 51 so far this year. 
yeah, not great. You just want to see if, if that just adds to the problems because he's working in neutral or hit or yeah. pass. And it, it, it's just tough right. to work that way. When you're a fifty six percent career um, down to fifty one percent this year, um, twenty twenty again. Yeah. I just don't read into twenty twenty. It was forty six percent. I just don't. I, I throw sure. twenty twenty out. I mean, generally, I think he he has been much better. Again, he's never had great command. I mean, he's walked a lot of guys throughout his career, um, but I do think this he's he's working with exactly, a new set of mechanics. That's exactly it. And I don't yeah. I don't think he has command of it yet. All right, Sander Bogarts, it hasn't been a good start to the season for him. It's a contract year for him, but it's not working out so far. <laughs> not working so, out so far to this point. And I think that's part of the problem here, but there are other things yeah, going on. Yeah, and too. I mean, I think you probably can speak to this better than me, is, is I know that it's there's been a lot of chatter. Um, you know, I, I, I've read it over, you know, outside of the, the New England area, um, whether the Red Sox even want him back, that are they lowballing him? Uh, is there a potential he could be traded midseason? Again, they they acquired Trevor Story, so they do have a guy who can play shortstop, even though right now Story's playing yeah. uh, second. And so um, is that weighing on Bogarts, a, a guy who's been with Boston his entire career? Um, I, I would argue maybe because we're seeing some very uncharacteristic numbers for Bogarts. I mean, you know, I mentioned it earlier, his average exit velocity is 81 miles per hour. Again, I mean, we're talking about 14 batted balls. So, you know, you cannot read too hard into that. And he's not going to end up with an 81 mile per hour average exit velocity. But this is a guy who's been, uh, you know, consistently in the high 80s, low 90s in average exit velocity. He's not hitting the ball particularly hard. His barrel rate's way down. He's also striking out a lot more. I mean, this is a guy who's been a very good, um, had very good plate discipline throughout his career. He's got a 15.7% swinging strike rate. Um, he's, he's just striking out a ton. Uh, he had a nice first game of the season and we just haven't really seen a lot since then. I know he's been dealing with a nagging injury. Um, but I do have concerns about Bogarts. We've seen these sorts of situations where contract talks, trade talks, whatever it may be linger, especially after a team acquired a guy who essentially can play your position, uh, in in the off season. We've seen sometimes that carry throughout the season and, and overall, impact a player's season long results. So I do have Bogarts in a couple places and I do have my concerns, even though we're so early in the season. Yeah. At this point, I think the predominant factor is this nagging injury that we're talking about. It's a lower body injury. And I think it shows up in his chase rate. I think it shows up in his ground ball rate, 57%. He's only lifted the ball 21.4% or fly balls 21.4%. So his entire approach has changed and that's not a mental thing that's a that that speaks to me of the base of a hitter when when the base of a hitter when you've got a lower body issue sometimes all these things can happen pull percentage uh not really elevated but that ground ball that ground ball percentage bothers me he's rolling over the top i don't think his base is quite the same but all the contract talks they've kind of gone public here there's a lot of rumors and if half of the rumors are true about what the red sox did to him you could see where this kid would uh would be affected by it because he wants to be here. He's been with the Red Sox half of his adult life. He's, you know, he was signed as a 16 year old. Uh, it was half of his entire life. He signed as a 16 year old with the Red Sox wants to stay in this organization, wants to be treated with a little bit of respect. And if you, believe the rumors about what was going on in the negotiation, what the Red Sox offered, they haven't shown him a ton of respect here. So yeah, that's going to be in his head a little bit, but I think right now it's basically injury based. And at a certain point, He's already he's already gotten mad from the negotiation standpoint. He's kind of unleashed Scott Boris a little bit and given him a little bit of room when he's always been pro organization. He's always been kind of 
pro Red Sox, give him a lot of slack. I think he's at the end of his rope in terms of giving the Red Sox slack in these contract negotiations. But I think physically at a certain point, he'll get healthy and he'll get mad and he'll get into a contract year and he'll just start to show people. But right now I think he's dealing with a lower body injury and it, it hasn't been specified by the Red Sox, but you know, and that's been, you said he had a good first game. That was the last time he looked yeah, good. And, and reportedly that's when, when he had the injuries right after that. And so his, uh, you know, worth noting his, his athleticism, his running, um, you know, his, his speed, his sprint speed, that's all down. Um, not dramatically, but down, that would be, you know, you know, in connection with that injury He's only 29 years old. We shouldn't see major regression in his running. So, um, that's worth noting too. I'll ask you, do you think he's a Red Sox next year? I can't see it at this point. You don't, if you are the Red Sox and you are, as you should be committed to signing Xander, because on top of what he is as a player, and he's an exceptional player, on top of what he is as a player, he's a major cog in that clubhouse. He's a leader. He's a Red Sox. He's a prototypical Red Sox. Up here, I don't know if you're into hockey, but up here, the equation, the uh, comp has been uh, Patrice Bergeron with the Bruins. Not only is he a great player, he's just great in the clubhouse and everybody looks up to him. The Red Sox should be trying to re-sign him, but you don't go about it the way they've gone about it so far. Again, even if you believe just half of what you're hearing about this negotiation, Xander should have been signed and he should have been signed by now. I know they have to deal with either Devers or uh, Bogarts because both of them are up for contracts, but I don't know. They haven't handled it well. I'm going to say no. I'm pretty confident. No, he moves on. But you do... But you brought you brought up an interesting thing about whether he gets traded in the season. I don't know how much you can trade him with half a year of a contract yet left. But well, but yeah, I mean, if ultimately this sours enough, and you know, hopefully it doesn't. But um, we've <laughs> we've seen this happen before, right? Where uh, uh, what starts as just a little bit of bickering back and forth kind of lingers and gets worse as the season goes on, and then. Uh, ultimately, if it does become 100% clear he's not coming back, wouldn't you rather get something than nothing for him? Um, yeah, it makes perfect yeah. sense. And so yeah. um, I, I just, I, I think a month or two ago would have seemed unfathomable that he, he would not be in a Red Sox uniform by the end of the season, let alone next season. Um, but I, And I still would assume he will be there, but... Yeah, I mean, just saying that we've seen stranger things happen and he will certainly have suitors uh, if he is made available at the trade deadline. How would you like to be high and bloom and your legacy with the Red Sox as the GM is to trade Mookie Betts and Xander Bogos? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, ultimately it's, uh, you know, they brought in. And not sign Raphael Devers, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly confident they sign oh, him. You got to sign one of them, right? You would, you would well, think. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, from a fantasy perspective, though, you have some confidence that Bogarts will rebound. My, my wonder is with this lower body injury, do they need to sit him down for a couple of days? Yeah, that's the thing. How long is this going to linger? What's the nature of it? And by the way, this is somewhat secretive. There isn't a lot of talk about it. it, it basically, everyone around here just looks at him and goes, he's hurt. He just doesn't look right. He doesn't, as you said, some of the metrics in terms of his sprint speed and things like that uh, uh, back that up. But just watching the ball player, you can see he's hurt. But they're not talking about it, so we don't know what the injury is. Obviously, if they're playing him, you would think they don't 
feel he needs to sit down, but at a certain point, give the kid a couple of days off and give him a chance to, to you know, give him a chance to put that injury behind him because he really needs to do that. And this is where it gets frustrating. You know, you you go with who we were talking about before, Mitch Keller, and that's an easy one. Look, Mitch Keller's not quite there. He's got some things figured out. So if you drafted him, you're benching him or you're dropping him or whatever it may be. But Bogarts, if you drafted him, you've got to start him every time he's available. So if he's healthy, you're starting Bogarts. And that's where it gets frustrating because what, you know, there's not much you can do, right? You got, you got to roll Bogarts in there. I mean, I can't imagine... You know, every, every format's different. I don't know everybody's team out there, but, you know, I would imagine most teams don't have a shortstop on their bench that is better than Xander Bogarts if you drafted Xander Bogarts. So, um, yeah. And by the way, yesterday's game, the Red Sox home opener was after two days off. He, he got an off day before the off day at the end of the Detroit series and then came in and you could see in a couple of plays uh, yesterday, there was a, a pop fly to left center in the first inning that, that he just did not look good going for going back and was misaligned and was just not moving well. And then there was a drawn in infield late in the game and a, a slow hit ground ball up the middle that, you know, you just assume Xander would have gotten, got to, if he were healthy, but you know, this is all speculation on our part. Again, nobody's talking about it, but he's not yeah, the same well, player. And a lot of these, uh, metrics in his offense, uh, bear it out and what you brought up about his sprint speed and some of his athletic metrics that bears yeah, it over well. four with uh three k's you know uh, on friday yep. and so uh that's just very under a uh, very un xander bogart's like uh to have to have an over four with three k day uh so yeah there's 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 certainly some concern there um this purely for a fantasy perspective um, there's, uh, you know, again, I think there will be some improvement. I don't think it's going to be this bad all year. Um, but I just wonder if this stuff's going to hang with him. Is the injury going to hang with him? Is the contract talk going to hang with him? Um, and is this going to be maybe, uh, one of his, his down years? Um, we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, Alec Bohm, what's wrong with Alec Bohm? He's hitting 714, by the way, and hasn't struck yeah, out the yet. The problem is year. he's not playing. <laughs> <laughs> he's not playing. Uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, what are they going to do with this? Um, I mean, Bryson Stott hasn't been particularly spectacular, but they do not trust Alec Bohm. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are talking about that game where he had three errors and uh, he said some things about Philadelphia that was uh, lip red. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, when he's been out there to hit, he's been fine. It's just that he's not, he's not getting his opportunities. They don't trust him. I mean, they do not want him as their third baseman. I think that's just clear at this point, but the problem is they signed in the off season, two DHs. (laughs) Again, I I made the joke. Did did the Phillies not realize when this deal was come to that? (laughs) There's only one DH in the national league that you don't, you don't get two. Um, and generally, you're not going to pinch it. No, and so they have Kyle Schwarber and Nicholas Castellanos. Those guys are basically going to be alternating DH, playing some of the outfield, playing DH. There's not much room for another DH on that team. And, you know, Bohm is just not the third baseman. And, again, Bryson Stott, to me, hasn't run away with things. He hasn't been terrible. He's been fine. But he's a better fielder, and they are committed to him. I, I mean, it just seems clear. So, I don't know what that means for Alec Bohm. I mean, yeah, in one sense, you're saying, oh, well, I'm encouraged because <laughs> he's, when he has gotten his chances, he's played pretty well. You know, I mean, he's five hits. And as you mentioned, he's walked a bunch and he has not struck out yet. Uh, so, but I, I mean, he's just not getting that chance. It's just him pitch, hit, pinch hitting. He's only had two starts. Uh, so I, I just, I. Yeah, and it sounds like his, it feels like his defense is a big Absolutely. part of this. I mean, I think ultimately he needs to be a DH or he needs to move to first base somewhere. He's not moving to first base. 
with the Phillies because they have Reese Hoskins, um, another guy who could probably be a DH. But again, they have Schwartz. Their whole team is DHs, yep. basically. They're a terrible <laughs> defensive They're an team. AL team. Uh, they are just an absolutely atrocious defensive team with incredible offense. That's that's the Phillies. Um, if I'm a Phillies pitcher, I'd be frustrated to have those guys behind me. Uh, anyways, though, I, I think he could play first base somewhere. Um, but I, I, he's just not a third baseman. He is not a third baseman. Uh, maybe he's a first baseman slash DH. He just isn't going to be that with the Phillies. I don't know what that means. I, I don't know if I would imagine they've had talks with other teams, but obviously hasn't gotten anywhere. Um, I don't know if he ends up just sitting there in Philadelphia on the bench, basically most of this season, but no matter what happens, even if Bryson Stott dramatically struggles, they do not seem committed to Alec Bohm at third base. So I don't know what they're going to do, but it just doesn't seem like Alec Bohm's the answer there. Um, but I don't know in a redraft league what that means because I don't know if there's a clear path to get traded and what will his role be, which team is he going to be going to. It's a lot of questions, and if you did draft Alec Bohm, and there were these questions hovering over him in the offseason, so some people you know did draft him at some value anyways, but I'd be concerned just because I don't know what his role is, and you can't start him right now. You know, I mean, he pinch hits. That's all he is. No. He pinch hits. So it's great that he's five for seven, but you can't start him. That's not enough production. And so uh, there's certainly some concern and some frustration just purely with with his playing time. And it's tough because this is such an important period here early in the season in terms of managing your roster and hitting the waiver wires and, and seeing changes uh, in values of players based on playing time. We're getting our first good look at what management thinks of these players. And this is what we're talking about with Alex Bohm, what, what they think of him. There's some positives with some other players. So it's tough to keep this guy on the roster when there seems to be other uh, valuable players floating around in, in free agency or, or on your, that's exactly board. right. And it, it, I mean, it depends on your format, depends on how deep your benches are, but I, I, it's hard to hold on to him and, and you might get bit, you know, you might drop him and then next week he gets traded to a team that's ready to start him every day. I mean, that just might happen. But I think if you have thin rosters, uh, you know, thin benches, I, I just it, you, he's not playing. I mean, he's and I do not see the path for him to play in Philadelphia. So, um, yeah, I, I think he, there's no role for him on your team unless he gets traded. And I don't know if he will. He may again, it may be the moment we sign off this podcast, he gets traded. I don't know. Um, but that's just I to me something you're going to have to live with, because uh, I think the question is right now you, you just can't have him active in your lineup. Uh, Eddie Rosario is hitting 043 and 23 at bats to start the season, playing seven games, and he's a player with a track record. So there's some confidence there, but by the same token, the last two years haven't been great. 2020 was okay, I guess. If you if you want how much weight you want to put into 2020, last year wasn't good. So this has to shake your confidence. Yeah, and a he bit. really struggled last year before he was ultimately traded to Atlanta. And if you remember, he was traded while hurt. Um, that was mm -hmm. when the Braves basically lost their entire outfield uh, and then just rebuilt it midseason. Um, and they traded for Rosario while he was hurt. He came back and he was on fire and he was obviously had a memorable postseason and was incredible in the postseason. Um, and this is a guy who has skills. Uh, you know, I mean, he hit 32 home runs in 2019 with a 276 batting average hit 288, 290 the previous two years. So this is a guy who at 30 years old, I mean, still should be capable of producing pretty good numbers, especially in a good lineup and a good ballpark um, with Atlanta. 
Um, he started off ice cold last year. He has started off ice cold again this year. Um, and I certainly have concerns because he's not hitting the ball hard. Um, and the other thing with Atlanta is they're going to be getting Ronald Acuna back and they have a glut at, in the outfield, even with some of those guys gone, but you know, with Adam Duvall and Eddie Rosario and, um, Marcelo Zuna and now, and, and when Acuna comes back and, you know, the reports are that he's, he's, he's making his way towards getting back eventually, you know, maybe within the next couple of weeks, um, well, that could push Rosario more to a platoon slash bench role. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think many people drafted him for that role. Um, but like I said, he's just not hitting the ball hard right now. Um, and, you know, he's not barreling it. And um, there's some concerns about his power right now and, and what his role will be with the team. His defense also has been absolutely abysmal. We were talking about Alec Bohm. Um, Rosario is not a very good defender. It's been very bad in the early going. I know there's some frustration, uh, with Atlanta fans in terms of that. And so, um, that, that could yeah, see, that's the thing that I get concerned about, especially here early in the season. Uh, you got a guy who's, he changed teams last year, but he's still on a new roster, has to win over a clubhouse. I think there's a certain, uh, syndrome you get at this point in the season where you're walking up to the plate in these ballparks and you're looking at this huge scoreboard out in center field and you're looking at an 043 batting average, right? And things just aren't going well. And t- this tends to snowball with some players. You can kind of see it in his plate approach right now because he's been chasing only 25%. He looks really cautious, called strike 30%. That's a guy who's, who's not confident in the plate, certainly not aggressive at the plate. I, I, I think sometimes this gets into a player's Yeah, anecdotal, a but there was an at-bat... Uh, can't remember if this was for, I've, I've watched so many games and I get them all mixed up, uh, but he had an at bat against a reliever the other day where he took three straight strikes, didn't swing at one of yeah. them, didn't lift the bat off his shoulder. And, uh, that's concerning for, for a guy who, <clears throat> who again should be capable of hitting 20 plus home runs. And, uh, um, and again, at times has, has shown, um, that he can be, not just a good player, but a really good player. I mean, again, in the postseason last year, it's only the postseason. He, he was phenomenal. Yep. Um, and and I still go back to that 2019 season, 276 with 32 home runs. I mean, it's hard to look past that. I mean, that, that's if, if he were to, to be able to, you know, encapsulate that in, in another season, I mean, the value is just incredible. But, I mean, even if we're not getting there, I'm, I'm just worried we're even getting, you know, for the 14 home runs he hit last year. Um, he did miss a lot of last year with injury, but, um, you know, right now he's just not producing anything. And again, another guy who I think most people, uh, probably drafted to be a starting outfielder, depending on your format, not in shallow leagues, but certainly in five outfielder leagues or deeper mixed leagues or AL only leagues or sorry, NL only leagues. You, you drafted a Rosario to be a starting outfielder. I don't think you can have him in the starting lineup right now. The good news with a veteran like this in these types of situations, and it doesn't look like there's a huge skill uh, skill decline here or an injury like in, in Xander's situation, sometimes a three for four or a walk-off RBI or a couple homer game and straightens these guys right out. In, in yeah, it's like in basketball when a guy can't hit a shot and then he gets a free throw and it's like he just needs to yep. see the ball go through the hoop. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes I think, yeah, you're exactly right is uh, – Rosario could get hot. He's a guy who has been streaky. So um, it's it, it's not panic time. I just think more if you're setting your lineups for next week, if we don't see anything this weekend from him, uh, I think you have to really consider if you're in a weekly lineup 
uh, league, I, I think it's tough to start him right now. And and you just have to kind of hope he gets out of it and that maybe the next week you can get him back in. But I think right now he belongs mostly on the bench. Uh, Josh Donaldson may present a very similar situation uh, coming to the Yankees, coming to New York and and wanting to impress his teammates and his fan base that hasn't got off to a great start. And this is kind of disappointing because it was a good spring. Yeah. Thing. And he, he just hasn't hit a home run. He's striking out an incredible amount. I, I think there's a little just, you know, as you mentioned, anxiety, a little bit anxious to to do more than he needs to do um, his chase rate. Just take a look at his chase rate right now. <laughs> I know 51 percent. Well, that tells me he's being a little bit over aggressive, I would say. I think I could do better than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I we just talked about Eddie Rosario. who has got 25 uh, percent chase rate uh, yeah. and, and uh, Josh Donaldson sitting here with a 51 percent chase rate. Well, that I mean, yeah, that'll tell you. I, I think this is a mental thing. Uh, so not going to panic about it. But um, do we see sort of this uh, pressure he's putting on himself throughout the whole year? Um, you know, this could linger. Um, and, uh, ultimately I think, yeah, a lot of people were excited, uh, when he, when he made the move to New York, thought it was a good spot. The Yankees have been hitting him, you know, in the leadoff spot, which is kind of intriguing at a great spring. Um, just hasn't, hasn't been there yet. Uh, not something I'm panicking about. Um, I, I think in most cases, again, depending on your roster format, you, you're still going to be rolling them out there to a certain degree, but, uh, uh, you know, this overaggression, um, he's got to calm it down and he, he will call. I mean, he's not going to finish with 51% chase yeah. rate, but you know, it, it does. He does. He kind of hold some pressure playing first time playing in New York. Does he kind of hold that pressure for much of the season? Yep. I think that's possible. And, and does that ultimately impact his ability to hit the ball hard to barrel it up? Um, it's possible. Same thing. He just needs a big game, I think, to snap himself out of it. But we've seen situations in New York. Giancarlo Stanton got off to a very slow start. That lingered with him for a long time. Of course, famously, Bryce Hopper in Philadelphia, who was pressing a lot. And, uh, you know, that lingered throughout the season. He did not have a great season with Philadelphia. But Josh Donaldson is a veteran hitter. He's a quality hitter. He, you know, whether he's pressing or he's just kind of feeling the heat, you go to a new clubhouse, you want to win the clubhouse over. You want them to uh, like you and understand that you're a warrior and you're going to help them out. And the fan base, especially in New York, you don't want them turning on you early. So, uh, yeah, I just think a, a two homer game or a big RBR or something like that. turns. And Donaldson, notoriously an emotional guy, a guy with a lot of energy. And so, yeah, I think right yeah. now probably putting a little too much pressure on himself and maybe wearing this 188 batting average and zero home runs, maybe wearing it a little more than he needs to. Um, and you know, the, the, we also know about, uh, you know, how New York fans could be. If this lingers, we could start hearing the boo birds come out for him too, um, and does that get in his head? Um, but as you mentioned, uh, this could quickly turn around, um, if he just has a good day here or there. Um, so, uh, I'm not overly panicked against, uh, about Donaldson. Like I said, I think you still roll him out there, but, um, you know, I, I am keeping a, keeping a wide eye on it. All right. I don't want to spend a lot of time on Nick Pavetta cause I'm still trying to wash the taste out of my mouth from yesterday. <laughs> And it had nothing to do with the fact that I had money on the first five with the Red Sox yesterday. So <laughs> trust me, it had nothing to do with that. Uh, but uh, Nick Pavetta did a Nick Pavetta start yesterday. And this is the problem with Nick Pavetta is like some days he just does not have it. 
and and he just had no idea where the ball was going. And there were times when you, I was so encouraged with him last year, and it felt like the Red Sox and Alex Cora and whatever they were doing with him was effective, and they were starting to tap into some of his strengths. But he can just throw this start out every once in a while, which makes him just—he's a hand grenade. And him. his velocity's down. Uh, worth noting, uh, his velocity's been down. Um, and he's walking a ton of guys, getting hit hard. I mean, he's doing everything you don't want a pitcher to do. Uh, but again, only yep. two games. But um, with Nick Pavetta, there's so much caution from what he's done for fantasy owners for years, even going back to before he was with Boston, because uh, he has been, you know, one of the more frustrating pitchers over the last five, six years. So uh, I think you see these first couple starts, they have been, uh, you know, underwhelming. Uh, and so you start to you start to get a little concerned. His walk rates 14%. He's not striking a lot of guys out. Um, all those numbers are his hard hit rate is seven hard hit rate 95 miles an hour or above 70 point. That's not good. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, his average exit velocity is 98 miles per hour. Yeah. Barrel average rate is 25%. Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> See, the, the, the problem with Nick Pavetta is the, in the risk reward equation, it's all risk and it, there's almost no reward. You, you get a start every once in a while, but you just, you, chances are you're going to run into one of these at, at a certain point. If you pitch them enough, you're going to run into one. Yeah, of these you are. I, I mean, again, we, we, we touched at the beginning of the podcast about velocity. Um, I don't overdo it, but I, I just will acknowledge that he, his velocity is down. That's just something I want to track. If it if it stays ninety three ninety two, um, you know I, I I'm gonna track that and, and and I'm a little worried about that because I think he's gonna he's gonna get hit a little harder this year if that's the case. He threw a three two changeup yesterday, which he throws changeup career two point eight percent of the time. I mean, you just. <laughs> He was just searching for it, and his, you know, his fastball percentage is down to 45.9, so that's fear. He doesn't want to throw the fastball because he doesn't have the velocity yet. It could come back. I imagine it will come back, and Pavetta will put up a start here or there that's okay. Never puts up that solid, that really good start that, that you want, but sometimes he can put up the really bad start. Like I said, all, all risk. Yeah, I, I, I have just avoided Pavetta because he bit me so hard earlier in his career when I was yep. all in on Pavetta that I have avoided him the last couple of years. Um, there were some encouraging signs last year. He did some really good things. Um, but like you said, I mean, the risk to me is just too high. I can't deal with those starts. I mean, he just kills you in some starts. Uh, so I, I'm I'm avoiding him. And if, if I had him right now, um, I'd be concerned. And, and, and he may end up back on the waiver wire in my league. All right, a couple minutes before we finish here, and I just want to squeeze in Mookie Betts because I want to hear the I want to hear the concern level on Mookie Betts here. Uh, Two twenty six start, no homers. Uh, I think he's. I think his power is. I don't want to use the word questionable. I always think he's been a low margin of error guy with power. He's a very pull dependent power guy. I didn't think going to LA was going to help that power situation all that much. So I don't consider him the five column guy. He was a 30, 30 guy in 2018. I don't think he's ever going to be that again, but you know, so far it hasn't been a great start. He hasn't really nailed it in Los Angeles. No, either. no. I mean, and that's, that's the thing for as wild as that trade was, um, he was good in 2020, uh, but that was 2020. I mean, last year he was uh, okay. He had some injuries this year. He started off really slow. And I think you're exactly right is he, he benefited by some of the, uh, ballparks he was playing in, in the AL East and, and, and including his home park to a certain degree and what it did for, you know, a number of his statistics, uh, LA is not a good ballpark for him to play in. 
uh, doesn't benefit him. So if he doesn't have that 30 home run power, if he's really only a 20 home run guy, he's not stealing a ton of bases anymore. He did steal a base the other day, but I think he's more of a 10 steal guy. So if he's a 20 yeah, home right. run, 10 steal guy, I mean, what is that? That's not what people are drafting him for. Um, not worth 300 million. No, and I mean, you know, even his batting average last year, 264. Um, I don't know if that was there, there's a little bit of bad luck, but I actually think that that was pretty reasonable. And we might see that same sort of batting average again, 260s, 270. So if he's a 270 hitter with 20 home runs, 10 stolen bases, that's that's like a middle of the road outfielder in fantasy circles. Great fielder, but that doesn't help you in fantasy. Uh, so I, I certainly have some concerns with Mookie. Um, I just think that, you know, again, yeah, like you're saying, I don't know if the the spot where he's at in terms of the ballpark is is particularly good. A lot of those NL West ballparks are not particularly good. Yes, they have Coors, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, Petco and and, and, and uh, Oracle and, and San Francisco, I mean, those are not great ballparks for, for hitters. So I just think that, yeah, there's some concern that ultimately maybe this is who he is. Maybe he is more of a 20 to 25 home run guy with, you know, eight to 10 steals. And that's fine, but, you know, I mean, you have to factor that in. I mean, that's not a second-round player, and that's where he's drafted. No. And it's hard to say that because he has a 29-homer season. He has a 32-homer season. He has a 31-homer season. And he picked up the power and production when David Ortiz retired in Boston. But like I said, if you go back and look at the spread, look at the uh, spread chart on his home runs, extremely pull dependent. He's got to be a pull hitter. He's got to be out in front of the ball. He has to change his approach to be a big power hitter. And that's what he did in Boston. I don't think they ask him to do that in LA. Plus I don't think it's conducive uh, to his power, which I think is marginal. Um, marginal is probably the wrong word, but he's not a 30. He, he's marginal for a 30 home run guy. And you look at uh, if we were doing player A, player B, and I gave you 7.8% on barrel percentage, 90% exit velocity, uh, launch angle of 18.9, hard hit of 40%. You go, oh, yeah, nice player, but you wouldn't be drafting him in the second right, round. Right. That's either. the thing is it's not that I think Mookie Betts is a bad player or he's worthless. No. Um, it's just, you know, people drafted him in the second round, maybe even in the first round in certain formats and in 15 team leagues. And so uh, he he's not delivering that right now. And I he hasn't delivered it for a couple of years now. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I go back to even that 2018 season when he was 30, 30 and hit 346. Babbitt 368. Uh, and that he's a fly fly ball guy. That BABIP was high. That's way higher than his career mark. Uh, so that 346 batting average was to me a little bit based on luck. Um, I mean, that was a phenomenal season. Don't get me wrong. And, and that's why he was the next year, basically the number one overall pick kind of in that conversation with Mike Trout at that time. Um, I, I just don't think he's in that conversation and may not, may not even be in the conversation of a top two round guy. Um, anymore. I, I think, I think you have to factor that in it's early. Maybe, maybe things turn around. Um, but, uh, but I don't think a lot points to him being overly successful 30 home run guy in LA still some value there. And, and obviously again, if you, if you drafted him, you're starting him. I mean, that that's not the question. It's just more kind of looking ahead to what is Mookie Betts value. Uh, maybe we, we overdid it a bit on him. And we can argue about his capability of 30 home runs, but I think everyone's pretty clear that the 20 stolen base days are gone. I mean, he he probably is still physically capable of stealing 20 bases. I just don't see it. No, and again, I I think that 
you know, he stole 10 bases last year. He dealt with some injuries. He He's always kind of now these last couple of years been dealing with some injuries. So, yeah, I, I think that he's still probably going to steal double-digit bases. I just don't know if it's going to be 20 again. Um, worth noting, and again, sprint speed's a, a bit misleading, but it is out there and it is a factor. It's way down this year. Um, so uh, he's not running as well as, as he has. And I just, I don't know if he's going to get back to that route. He's dealt with a bunch of injuries. Um, this is, you know, one of those guys plays the outfield, plays hard. He's makes diving plays, um, that catches up a little bit. And, and, and I think that that's worth monitoring His sprint speed is way, way down. All right. If you're not familiar with us or you're not listening to us on insideofbaseball.com, make sure you check out insideofbaseball.com. The baseball blog is there. Free to non-subscribers. Samples of some of the stuff that goes out to our subscribers. Uh, check our all of our tools for in-season to help you win your fantasy baseball championship. You can also find us on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio Saturdays and Sundays from 11 to 1. If you're following us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us so you know when the next episode drops. We're not working on a regular schedule, so you're going to want to make sure that you get the latest information when we drop it for you. So make sure you subscribe to us and say hi. That would be great. Or you can find us at insideofbaseball.com. All the past episodes are there as well if you want to catch up. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. We'll see you on SiriusXM Fantasy, and we'll see you next time on the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. Oh, yeah. Let's go.